Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. What happens when newcomers from the suburbs move into farm country? Or when small-scale backyard farmers in cities or suburbs want to continue or begin operations against neighborhood opposition? Sometimes conflicts ensue, of course. We're going to ask how these should be handled on the program today. In Michigan, for example, a Right to Farm Act was created in 1981 to protect farmers from the complaints of people from the city who moved into the country and then attempted to make it more urban with anti-farming ordinances. According to the Michigan Sierra Club, a recent ruling by the Michigan Commission of Agriculture and Rural Development, quote, effectively removes the Right to Farm Act protection for many urban and suburban backyard farmers raising small numbers of animals, end quote. We're going to talk about Utah laws and rules, discuss the issues with uh, Cache Valley Farmers' Don Baldwin, who is currently traveling. We have uh, a recorded interview with him. And we welcome in uh, Reed Zog, who is a uh, Cache Valley uh, dairyman, I believe. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, so you run a, a dairy operation in Lewiston or near in, Lewiston? In Lewiston, mm-hmm. right. Uh, in Lewiston, okay. Right. All, All right. right. So you'd, we'd, we'll definitely be able to talk about the uh, the town uh, sometimes versus farm, I suppose. Sure. Um, we hope to be joined by USU Cash uh, County Extension Agent Clark Israelson. I believe he'll arrive here shortly. And in studio with us as well is Logan City Councilman Herm Olson. Welcome to you. Good morning. Thanks for uh, coming back to the program. Uh, we are asking you as well if you have an experience with this. Have you experienced a city farm conflict? And if so, what happened? Was it resolved? And if so, how so? You can join us by email to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, we're on our Utah F- Public Radio Facebook page. You can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Let's begin with a, a brief recorded conversation. I recorded this several weeks ago with uh, Don Baldwin, who is a, a dairy operator in the Lewiston area. Reed, I, I'm, I'm assuming you know Don. I do. Uh, so he came to the studio to talk about some of these uh, issues. Uh, he has an interesting story. Uh, in that he's a, he's a, essentially a city boy who had the dream of becoming a farmer, and, and he's, his dream came true. So he, he went from the city to the farm. And uh, so here's our conversation with uh, Don Baldwin. So you have an interesting perspective, I imagine, on, on this idea that we're, we're talking about the program today, this uh, encroachment, you know, the cities get bigger, suburbia, you know, suburbanites want to move out to where there's a little more more land. And so farmers like yourself, imagine you know, your land's been pretty rural for a long time. I think of Lewiston is pretty, pretty rural. I don't know if you're having any problems of, of, of this sort of people sort of encroaching on your, on your land. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, encroachment is beginning. And, and I think one of the things we need to understand is that kind of, let me step back in history for just one second. Um, the first right to farm laws in the United States are actually much older than we usually give them credit to be. The first one was passed in 1622. Um, when the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, they, uh, they, had, they practiced a communal form of agriculture. And the first winter, they almost lost half of them. And uh, due to starvation and, and uh, the conditions that they were in, um, they found a cache of corn. They actually put their uh, stockade on a deserted Indian village and found a cache of corn. They lived on that, and that's really what uh, pulled them through. Um, the next winter was almost as brutal for them because they just didn't have the feed commodities to provide for themselves and their animals. And uh, that following spring, William Bradford said, enough of this. We're going to privatize our communal form of agriculture. Every man was given his own plot of ground and the opportunity to decide its highest and best use. And that very harvest season, enough abundance was raised that they held a Thanksgiving feast. And in gratitude and for what they had uh, produced and what they had been blessed with, But they also discovered the thing that made America truly, truly great, and that is the sanctity of private property and the the privilege to decide what the highest and best use of of what you own and the opportunity to make it be successful and to fail if you don't. Mm. And uh, that is a powerful, powerful motivation. 
and they discovered something that that uh, truly built America. Now let's fast forward to 400 years to our time. Um, we have we do have encroachment on agricultural land. Um, people like to move out into the rural areas. They like the view. They like the the rustic scenery. They like that that feeling of of openness that. Uh, that is nice. It's great. But then they smell my dairy and, and, and they become offended. Um, the fact that when we take our manure wagons down the road to go into our different fields, uh, there is a little spillage. There's some tracking of mud and that on the roads and, and they become offended. Um, that's an issue. Uh, another issue is that uh, this agricultural land that's been developed and farmed for so many years has been leveled and worked with and so it becomes the prime development land because it's simply cheaper to develop it and so a developer will come in and say hey let me buy this and an older farmer will say sure there's my retirement um, I'll go ahead and sell it uh, my kids aren't interested in it it takes care of me or even sometimes uh, a large tract of land will take care of their kids as well and so Rather than develop up on the hills or areas that are more expensive to develop, it's been cheaper historically to develop farm ground. And so then we get the urban crush that starts to pinch um, agricultural activity and starts to pave over agricultural land. And, and we see that starting to have a social and economic effect on, on rural areas. So if uh, people not familiar with Cache Valley were to drive, you know, along the west side of Cache Valley or even up the middle of, of the valley, it, it, would, it would seem to, to such a person, does to me when I drive it, it's pretty rural. So uh, you're having encroachment, you're telling me, and, and are you seeing it with, uh, with other farmers? Not, not so much the encroachment in, build, in, uh, in buildings and uh, crowding out yet, but, but in attitude, yes, that is starting to happen now. Um, people are starting to, to be offended by the smell of my dairy farm. Um, people are starting to, to uh, think that, well, hey, we should be able to control that a little bit and tell him that that, that really stinks. Um, to me, it smells like money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how I make my living. Right. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you would say that uh, you were there first, right? People... People came out afterward, in, in, in some cases, looking for you know, that beautiful view, the, the open country, but I guess not thinking through that you're also going to have the odor from the dairy and such. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yet, there, and there are those, you know, and I'm not trying to paint everybody um, that color, because there are those that move out there and understand that, you know, when we move out here, uh, we accept what the rural environment is, and... And, and they do. But there are those who are now starting to, to be upset. My, one of my guys was hauling manure just the other day, and somebody came by in a new car and gave him the finger with both hands, you know, to you know, California howdy. And uh, why? Well, because he was involved in an agricultural activity that they didn't happen to appreciate. What's the remedy, do you think, if this gets worse? I'm, I'm sure, you know, farmers be looking for a remedy. Is it planning and zoning on the local level? Is it a, you know, right-to-farm law maybe on the state level? Or, or what's, what's the remedy, do you think? Back to the same premise that we started with at the very beginning, the sanctity of private property. Um, that needs to be understood, and it needs to be enthroned. It needs to be loved and appreciated. And... Uh, those of us who happen to, to have a bigger backyard than most, um, we have a responsibility to care for that and to, to try and, and, and keep the upkeep on it needs to be taken care of. But at the same time, we should have a very distinct and clear opportunity to decide the highest and best use of those assets, assets which we actually do own. And there are, there are property, and, and those private property rights need to be respected. So that's Don Baldwin. Uh, he is a dairyman uh, in the Lewiston area. 
and he's outlining some of the issues we're, we're talking about on the program today. These conflicts that sometimes happen when uh, a rural area, a farming area, um, gets uh, newcomers. Uh, let me turn first to, uh, to Reed Zog. You, uh, your operation's actually in Lewiston. You, well, you said we're, we're a mile west of the main part of town. Okay, all right. Uh, could you pull your microphone just a little closer to you there? Um, have Have you had any of these conflicts that uh, Don Baldwin said he's he's seeing some changing attitudes from, well, from neighbors? I, I'm probably a little more unique. I moved to the area. Oh, you did. Okay. In uh, 1996, and the reason for my moving here was that very issue. I lived in West Point. Uh, down near Clearfield. And uh, that was a growing community, and uh, uh, I think that uh, I, needed, I needed to farm there and uh, uh, needed to expand and didn't have uh, acreage to do that. And at the same time, I was competing with uh, the contractors who were coming in, buying up big plots of ground. Mm-hmm. And I really... Uh, wanted to stay in that area, but uh, I was having uh, quite a bit of uh, encroachment. Um, To give you an example, one fall uh, we raised uh, uh, grain corn, and uh, to raise that grain corn you have to let the the corn dry dry down, and so it dies. And uh, uh, so here we come about uh, Thanksgiving time, or Halloween time, uh, where people were decorating, and, and our whole property was surrounded with subdivisions. Uh, and uh, we had some, some uh, ladies uh, go into the corner of the field and start cutting down uh, corn stalks hmm. for decorations. Oh. And the police happened to see that, and they stopped and asked them what they were doing. And, and uh, they said, well, it was dead and, and looked like it wasn't of any use anymore, so they just thought they they could go and, and get it. Mm. Well, that's kind of the attitude uh, that uh, uh, these surrounding people who moved into these subdivisions had. Uh, also, another example is uh, we had uh, flood irrigation down there, and uh, I would irrigate my crops with uh, siphon tubes. And so what you do with the siphon tubes is you fill up the ditch with uh, a certain amount of water, and it continues to, uh, at the... Uh, to have a full ditch and you siphon that water into your rows uh, on the crops. And um, I happened to, to see from my house, I was looking up through the field, and I see s- siphon tubes flying through the air. And uh, what is going on? So I ran up there, and the kids from the neighborhood had gone and started playing in the, in the ditch full of water and throwing those siphon tubes out. So they washed out the dam at the end of the ditch, and there was quite a bit of damage there. And, and so that was just another example. But the attitude, I think, of those who came in is uh, the, the parents were, this is open ground, kids go play, you know, be out of the house, go do whatever, you know. And there was no understanding of the value uh, of uh, that property surrounding them. And so it got to the point with you or where you moved your operation is that yes yeah Yeah. Uh, it just i needed to expand i couldn't expand there uh uh, and so i I began looking at other places and and i realized i couldn't hold it back i couldn't hold that housing back where maybe if uh several years before maybe 20 years before if there had been some kind of uh agreement uh, you know with some planning to keep farming in that area the, the ground was perfect for farming it mm. just it was we raised super crops there yeah and this is uh, I'm, I'm sure these are issues going on across the country as, as we've heard earlier in the program in michigan and we'll talk we're going to take a brief break when we come back we'll uh, we'll bring in herm olson and uh, clark israelson we'll continue with uh, reed zog and uh, we'd love to have your perspective uh, have you been involved in one of these conflicts and if so how was it resolved uh, what do you think the law should be The number is 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email to upraxis at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. More following this brief break. 
The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. How do you manage work-life balance? For many of us, life seems to have two speeds, fast and faster. The pressures at work are followed by the needs and demands at home. A recent study found that more than half of American workers felt overwhelmed by their workload at some point. Even so, one-third of those surveyed had no plans to make the vacation days they had available. No matter how energetic you may be, stretching yourself to the limit every day puts your health and happiness at risk. Frequent stress takes a mental and physical toll on your body. If you are often stressed out, you may feel irritated, worried, or depressed, and may have frequent headaches, backaches, or an upset stomach. A wise goal is simply to do what you reasonably can. This will help you strive for a balance between your work and home activities. If you can also manage to take time for yourself every day, you'll be on the road to a greater well-being. This is Dana Barrett for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. BBC. BBC. Hello, I'm Ross Atkins. Welcome to World Have Your Say. Coming up on Outlook after the news, the Somali journalist who witnessed the murder of his boss. Hello, I'm Steve Evans. Welcome to Business Daily. Coming up, the big fight. This is Owen Bennett-Jones with NewsHour. The BBC is your gateway to the world. And this is your BBC station. Monday through Saturday afternoons at 3 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. What happens when newcomers from the suburbs move into farm country? Conflicts sometimes ensue. Uh, and this is a broader range as well. We can get into this later in the program. Uh, sometimes I hear the complaint in rural Utah. You get to get the, uh, the uh, they're always called California. They may not be from California, but they're always called California folks who want to move into rural Utah because of the, the you know, the beautiful uh, surrounding uh, countryside, the, the lifestyle, the way of life. And then immediately set about, in the views of the original residents, changing things. <laughs> and so this is kind of a variation on that. Uh, we're talking about uh, the right to farm. This is a uh, law that was created in 1981 in Michigan uh, to protect farmers from complaints of people from the city moving into the country then attempting to make it more urban with anti-farming farming ordinances. We talked early in the program with dairy farmer Don Baldwin, the Lewiston area. And we've been talking with Reed Zog, who is a dairyman. Uh, in the Lewiston area. He moved from, uh, where was it, Reed? West Point. West Point, because you wanted to uh, expand and you were having some conflicts of, of the type we're, we're talking about. Correct. Uh, so we're, we also are talking with Herm Olson, Logan City Councilman, and with uh, USU Cache County Extension Agent Clark Israelson. Clark Israelson, uh, first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, taking time to come in. Um, I wonder if you're if you're hearing about some of these these conflicts, uh, I'm imagining they're happening around the state. Oh, yes. Yes, that's a common. And as uh, we listen to Don and read, uh, those stories are retold again and again. Yeah. Do we have, what, what, what's the law? Do we have a right to farm law in, in, in Utah that's, some, you know, sort of setting up uh, rights of one side or, or the other in these conflicts? Well, probably the thing that's used most often is what we call APAs, Ag Protection Areas. And uh, in Cache County, at least, if an individual has farmland and they want to uh, protect that, quote-unquote, they make application through the county council. There's a process that it follows. There's public hearings, et cetera. And if, uh, if that area is then recognized as an ag protection area, that means that agriculture is the preferred or uh, number one industry there. Mm. Anyone that moves to that area... Yes, they're still able to complain, but they're reminded that uh, ag is the priority industry. Okay. So there's a law that pr- protects uh, farmers such as Reed and, and, and Don. Um, so Don was talking about uh, the fact that he's seeing attitudes changing. People are unhappy about the odor of his dairy operation. Often attitudes would move to if, if, if the newcomers could zoning ordinances, which would change things. You're saying with, with the ag protection laws – that would be unsuccessful in a place like Lewiston? That is correct. Okay. Let's turn to uh, Herm Olson. Uh, I know, first of all, you, you said you wanted to uh, uh, make a small correction, push back on something Dot Baldwin said. Uh, well, I lived on the Navajo Reservation for some years and always want to, uh, to make sure we have our history accurate. Uh, Don talked about 
William Bradford and the Pilgrims. And actually, just last month, I was there, uh, visited the Mayflower in Plymouth Rock and went to the the uh, Pilgrim Village and the Indian Village of the Wampanoag Indians. And uh, Don mentioned that the uh, the Pilgrims had found a cache of corn, which helped them survive the winter, which is true. The Wampanoags would remind us that that corn wasn't lost. They had farmed it. They had stored it. And the Pilgrims stole it <laughs> and never did pay them back for it, except with guns and death. Mm. Uh, and um, so we talk about the sanctity of private property, and that is important. But when it's convenient, we forget it. For instance, when the settlers first moved into Cache County uh, 150 years ago, we conveniently forgot the Northwest Shoshone Band, who lived here for generations, uh, before we promptly stole it from them. So I'm just saying we have to put that in perspective. All right. Uh, Reed, did you? Okay. I thought I, thought I saw you indicate uh, your hand up. Um, so, uh, Hermit, just a follow-up here. The reason we have zoning laws, right, is to balance my private property rights against your private property rights. As a society, we have to do some balancing act, right? Yeah, and, and you know that's... Um, that's not always a simple process. Uh, I, I remember a case some years ago uh, that became famous, at least uh, for law students, and that was out of Arizona, where, uh, have you ever heard of Del Webb and Sun City? Del Webb developed this marvelous uh, retirement community outside of Phoenix, and um, a lot of old folks moved in, and it was wonderful. Uh, life was good, except for this enormous feedlot operation right next door. And in the summertime, it became intolerable for these people with the odor and the flies and uh, and just the trauma of living next to a feedlot. And uh, those citizens brought suit against the feedlot, and uh, the feedlot operation, and the judge said, yes, you have to move. You have to relocate feedlot because uh, these people came to the nuisance. It's true. They knew it was there. They bought anyway, but we're going to make the feedlot move because the health and safety of those citizens is jeopardized by the continued operation of the feedlot. That seemed terribly unfair to the feedlot operator until the judge said, however, I am going to require that Mr. Webb pay the entire cost of purchase of new land and moving every stick of, of property and every uh, uh, cow to the new facility completely at Webb's experience because he created a dangerous situation for these people. We won't let people die. We'll have their health as the paramount issue, but he who caused the problem will pay. And and that's kind of the notion we're talking about here. Uh, if you move into a rural area, you kind of get what you get. And you need to be aware of that. And if it's zoned agricultural, then you deal with those issues. Hmm. It seems like, uh, let me go to Reed Zog next, uh, seems like, um, you know, with a growing population, we're going to have these conflicts and maybe even in, you know, lovely rural Cache Valley. On the west side, it seems very rural, but... Uh, uh, you know, maybe more and more people moving in, and then, then what do you do? You, do, you don't want to move again, right? Well, no, I, I, I don't. Uh, not at uh, my age. Uh, one, one other uh, facet in all of this is that I'm kind of on a uh, uh, a uh, a route that uh, people take from the Wasatch Front uh, and come through Collinston and and up, and this is a quick way for them to go past my place and then up through Preston. And it's kind of a shortcut rather than going through Logan City. 
And so I get a lot of traffic from from uh, uh, the Wasatch Front uh, coming by my place. And so uh, Don talked about uh, hauling manure and having uh, farming uh, vehicles, tractors, and equipment out on the road. And uh, these people, I mean, it's a 55-mile-an-hour road going past my place. And so there's some issues there and taking up the road and people impatient with us and and uh, Don talked about some tracking and there's obviously some tracking uh, from in and out of fields and that mm-hmm. so that's an issue that that uh, that we have to deal with and and uh, we try to be patient and 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 try to do the best we can to to keep things off the road as as best we can we try to to work with people that way but but we have some people outside of the the valley not familiar with what we're doing. Uh, as an issue too have you uh don talked about an incident where some people in their impatience gave him the what he called the california <laughs> howdy have you had anything like that <laughs> well i about got run over by a uh a, a gravel truck uh, i don't know what he was doing but i was on on the tractor going up that road and uh, he came up behind me. I don't, he must have been distracted, but he just barely missed me. I saw him coming through my rearview mirror and, and hurried off the road. Otherwise, he'd have got me. Hmm. So uh, there's a lot of equipment, fast equipment, uh, uh, or machinery and trucks and that that, uh, that are a problem for us. Had a Facebook post. This is from Terry, um, who gives us the other point of view, at least on this this, this term. Uh, she says, your guest just used the term, uh, uh, that was Don Baldwin, uh, used the term, uh, I'll blame it on him because she's negative about it. Um, your, your, and Don's not here, so we can pile on. Um, said, your guest uh, just used the term, uh, quote, California howdy, end quote, with reference to an obscene hand gesture. I find that very offensive and feel it is this kind of attitude that makes things more difficult and makes newcomers feel unwelcome in this community. So that's the point of view of an outsider. Um, I don't know if any of our guests have, have a comment on that. We're, we're sort of, you know, at, at the beginning of the program here, we've, we're taking the attitude of, of uh, here, here's, here's uh, possible encroachment upon longtime residents. But uh, what about people who move in? Well, I, you know, I, I, she makes a good point, or Terry, I, I don't know if it was a she or a he, makes a, a good point about the whole notion of welcoming. But... Um, this is something that, uh, frankly, is going to become more acute uh, as our population grows. About 10 years ago, uh, the leaders in Cache, all of Cache Valley, including Idaho, became concerned about a projection out of the governor's office that said our population was going to double in 30 years. Where are they going? Where are they going to build? Uh, does that mean we're going to double the cars, double the, the roads, double the homes and the backyards? It's, everybody wants to have a single-family residence sort of a thing. Well, they put together a, a group of, of uh, leaders to study this whole issue called Envision, Cash Envision 2020. And it was a pretty darn good process, a thorough process. It involved all the way up to Clifton, Idaho, and Franklin, and Preston, down to Avon. Kind of the general conclusion from that whole planning process was, let's keep the country country and the city city, which means, unavoidably, that within communities, you have to start building in uh, filling in uh, inner blocks and densifying and growing up. Uh, well, that sounds good because that preserves and protects ag lands uh, so that we don't have what will otherwise be the inevitable sprawl. I mean, you double our population and people are going to live somewhere. So they're either going to build, uh, uh, buy and build in a more dense uh, residential community, a city, or they're going to sprawl. Those are the only two options we've got. And everybody agreed that we should densify, build up, and try and preserve open space, corridors, 
park areas, ag lands. The problem is putting that uh, into effect because you have to have a determined city council, a determined Cache County Council to keep the zoning uh, in such a way that we don't uh, just sort of uh, trip into the sprawl notion anyway. Mm. Let me uh, reintroduce our panel and uh, encourage you to uh, participate. You can join us on Facebook, as Terry did. You can join us on Twitter. We're at Utah Public Radio. Email is upraxis at gmail.com, and you can call us at 1-800-826-1495. We heard earlier from Don Baldwin, who is a dairyman in the Lewiston area. We also have a uh, a dairy farmer uh, also from the Lewiston area, Reed Zog, in studio. USU Cache County Extension Agent uh, Clark Israelson is with us, and Logan City Councilman Herm Olson. Let me turn uh, next uh, to Clark Israelson. Um, as we've heard uh, Herm uh, talk about some of these issues, and, and we have a plan, apparently, in, in Cache Valley to keep the city city and keep the country country, but but he's he's outlined some difficulties here. I, I wonder, with reference to this, this law we have, which protects agricultural uh, lands, um, there are probably places in Utah where uh, at least there's a temptation on the part of some areas, I'm sure, to... To push back against that, you know, you get a, you get a, a critical mass of population, and then the people say, "Well, we like the idea of country, but we've got to have room." It happened to to read right in in uh, in. Uh, I keep forgetting where you were. West, West Point. West Point. Thank you. So, Clark, I wonder if you, have you seen instances of this where there's well, and, and Herm, pressure put on this. Herm does make a really good point. Uh, we have three high schools in the valley right now. We'll soon have five. I've been to those high school graduations. There are hundreds of students that walk across the stage. We're all happy parents and grandparents, and we're glad that they're here, and we want them to stay, but they've got to go somewhere. And so it is a dilemma. Uh, I have children of my own. I surely don't want them to live in my basement all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so there yeah. needs to be some place to go. And as Herm talked about that Envision Cash Valley, I was a part of that, and we did spend a lot of time, and we, we have really made a valiant effort to try to come to some common ground and, and decide how to preserve ag and the, and the economic benefit that it brings to our community. And the nice thing about ag is it's new wealth all of the time. We're not just shuffling papers back and forth, but it's new wealth right out of the ground about $170 million annually just for Cache County alone. And then uh, adding the multiplier on that, that's really pretty important to our economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, not very many people realize that, but that's a big plus that, that benefits everyone. Also, when it comes to uh, to the cost, uh, taxes that are collected for ag land as compared to services required, uh, Ag is really a good deal, mm. whereas with residential areas, uh, yes, we do pay more taxes for our property and homes, et cetera, but the services required are much greater, so the net benefit to society is positive for ag and not so positive for non-ag. Mm. But again, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we we need we need to cover all the bases, and that is not an easy thing. And so instead of us casting stones at each other and finding fault, we simply need to keep talking and try to find common ground. Mm. Reed, is it, do you agree with that? Do you keep talking with your neighbors. That's the way to that's the way to go. I think I think that's what we got to do. I I think uh, eventually it's going to be an education thing, and uh, the more we can educate the va- to those around us, the value of, of farm. And uh, what it brings to the community, uh, it's that trickle-up effect, really, uh, that uh, when they see the benefits of it, they'll, they'll get on board and say, well, this is a value commodity, value thing for our community, that uh, we need to do all we can to, to help the farmers stay in business. Uh, we're a dying breed. In, uh, I, I believe it was 1940, there was 44% of, of the population provided food. For us now, we're one to two percent, and so this—it's drastic. We're a dying breed, and uh, where are we going to go for food? We all like to eat, don't we? We do like to yeah. eat. 
We're going to take another break. When we come back more on this issue, uh, we'll have our final segment. We're talking with Herm Olson, who's Logan City Councilman, Reed Zog, who is a uh, dairyman in the Lewiston area here in Cache Valley, USU Cache County Extension Agent Clark Israelson. Earlier on, we heard from Don Baldwin, who's a dairyman in the Lewiston area as well. And we have another uh, small segment. Maybe we can uh, go to that in, in, uh, after the break, uh, where, uh, where Don talks about succession. And, and that's another big mm-hmm. issue that uh, the farmers have to think about. Uh, he's thinking about, uh, do any of my kids want my operation? And uh, what's going to happen when, when that happens? Uh, anyway, we'll take a break. More on this uh, following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan. Open for breakfast Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m offering a selection of French pastries and a variety of sweet and savory menu items. Details at crumbbrothers.com. There was an 11-year-old girl in Illinois, and she opened up a cupcake stand right in front of her house. And then... The authorities shut her down because (laughs) she needed to either buy a bakery or build a separate kitchen under the health code. Stories like this one might tell us a lot about our broken legal system. Solving the big problems, that's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Monday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guests in studio are Reed Zog. He is a dairy operator in the Lewiston area. USU Cache County Extension Agent Clark Israelson and Logan City Councilman Herm Olson. Earlier on, we heard from uh, Don Baldwin, who is also a Lewiston area uh, dairyman. We're talking about this conflict that happens when increased population uh, moves people in, or sometimes by choice, people want to move into farm country. And then sometimes, having moved into farm country, they want to make the area more urban with uh, anti-farming ordinances. Uh, That was protected against with the Right to Farm Act 1981 in Michigan, but lately, according to the Michigan Sierra Club, a recent ruling by the Michigan Commission of Agriculture and Rural Development uh, removes the Right to Farm Act protection for urban and suburban backyard farmers raising small numbers of uh, animals. Let me, in this uh, this, uh, segment, start with Clark Israelson. Uh, Is that, does Utah Agriculture Commissioner have any of that sort of power under Utah law? Could... Could a ruling from uh, from the Ag Commission or Agriculture Commissioner I, change the, the Ag protection laws? I, I would assume it could, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. That's why we have attorneys, Herm. <laughs> do, do you know anything about this? Uh, I have not looked into that, but I am certain the legislature can do almost anything it wants. Right. And, uh, of course, within constitutional bounds, but... Uh, my guess is that uh, the state legislature would want to be rather protective of the whole notion of agriculture because it is such a huge uh, economic driver in our state. And and even beyond economics, there's something about the whole uh, agricultural culture that, uh, that speaks to uh, work ethic and uh, labor and, uh, you know, honest uh, investment in the land. Uh, I don't know of any pending legislation, but uh, I'm guessing that uh, the whole agricultural notion would be somewhat protected. Mm. I want to follow up with with culture. Um, All you have to do with, well, most Americans, you have to go back maybe, maybe two generations, maybe three. And you've got a farmer right. in your line. And, and so we're a nation that thinks of ourselves still as farmers, I guess, even, even though many of us are very urban. And Utah, I think especially, we all, all like to think, well, many of us like to think of ourselves as farmers, think of ourselves as pioneers, you know, that, that sort of thing. Uh, when the reality is becoming different, becoming more urban. Yeah, you know, my, uh, both of my parents grew up on... Uh, on farms, uh, one in North Cache and one in South Cache. And interestingly, the very first opportunity they had to get the heck out, they did. Mm. My dad joined the Navy and my mom came to town and worked as a waitress. Because uh, there, you can say there's romance to the whole farming notion. And at one level there is, but it's gut-wrenching hard work. 
and uh, and some would say anybody that has any sense it'll get the heck out as soon as they can. Mm. Yeah, uh, great great place to raise kids. Imagine. At the same time, I'm kind of glad I wasn't raised on the farm because I, <laughs> I I saw the work or I heard about the work my mother did, who was raised on a farm. And then there are others who would give anything to be back on the farm. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and it's almost impossible to do. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah, it's it's, it's dwindling. Uh, before we close, uh, Clark Israel and I, I want to talk about this idea that this is the specific uh, conflict point in Michigan. Uh, backyard farmers, uh, people in the suburban areas or urban areas that probably many of these areas were more rural and then the city grew in around them, um, who who have I don't know, a few chickens or you know a few few animals. They're still wanting to. To, to do a little little farming, the backyard operation. Do we do we have uh, conflicts in that regard? We Anything? have an increasing number of what we call small acreage farmers in Cache County. Small acreage, maybe anything from a half an acre to three acres. And again, uh, there are folks that have a job in town, but they still want that connection to ag. They want to be quote unquote self sufficient, raise what they can. Backyard poultry farming has become really a a pretty popular thing in recent years. The big problem with the backyard poultry are the roosters. They crow every morning. Mm-hmm. That annoys the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so we do have some municipalities, even here in Cache Valley, that have a city ordinance that says, yes, you can have X number of chickens, but you may not have a rooster. Yeah. What, what has Logan done, by the way? Do you know? Uh, they have a rule about these? You know, historically, um, when I was growing up here in Logan on the island, my next door neighbor had chickens and therefore roosters. And we heard them every morning and we knew that was simply the way it was because they had the right to hold and keep uh, small animals uh, in their backyard and did. Then uh, those folks died and uh, new people came in and didn't want chickens and it got a lot more quiet. But Logan still has sort of a grandfather clause, as it were, that if you've historically had uh, small animals, you can maintain them, but uh, you cannot reintroduce them. So uh, if that's something you want to do, as Clark mentions, uh, as my son did, he moved to Nibley, and he's got uh, chickens and roosters and ducks and uh, pigs on his little spread over there, and and he loves it. But uh, I think you'd run into a problem if you wanted to try and raise pigs in Logan City. It's yes. not going to work. Yeah, it seems. Well, we we have a we have a socially acceptable animals, I suppose. We you know dogs who bark and and cause problems, but you can't have a rooster. I guess, well, Herm Herm talked earlier also about health and safety, and obviously the health and safety of citizens is the priority of any legislative body and so uh, if we get a situation with a small acreage farmer where the uh, number of animals exceeds a reasonable limit there there is a certain amount of waste and uh, flies and, and things that go with that and so yes there has to be a balance mm. I wonder, we're, we're nearing the end. I wonder, uh, to start with this with, with Reed, I wonder if you'd talk a little bit more about these potential conflict points. You said that maybe the best thing we could do, following up with what Clark said, is to talk to your neighbors. These conflict points, I think, are only going to continue as the population in Utah continues to grow. Yes. Uh, one thing that, uh, that I'm a part of is, is uh, farm. Uh, we, we have farm days. And uh, a lot of the element, elementary schools here in the valley will visit a farm uh, in the valley, one or two farms. Uh, usually it's in 1st of May, somewhere in there. And so they do a farm tour, and we're, we're inter- reintroducing uh, the children to farming and what it's like. And uh, we have parents come, and, uh, and they're uh, invited to come. And, of course, teachers, and then they go back and, and review what they've done and, and about farm. They kind of had a – I think they have a, like a farm week or a, or a animal week or something like that. 
but uh, I, I think it is. It's as we are closer in contact with uh, those outsiders and those who are farther distant from the from the farm, uh, we need to reintroduce them back to the values of farming and and uh, uh, just educate them that this is a necessary thing for all to be. Uh, involved with and and them to appreciate and so we invite people to to come and visit uh, and we'll explain our operation what we do uh, some of the uh, costs cost saving programs that we're involved with and safety programs and health uh, programs for our animals and and uh, just the value of of our operation to outsiders Mm. Herm Olson, uh, you talked earlier about, we, we talked about this, the, the Envision Cache Valley process, there's an Envision Utah process, and the key question you said is we're trying to figure out who we want to be. That's, that's yeah. all tied up. And, in the- and, and, and you know, uh, unless we put a gate across the road at Sardine Canyon and stop people from coming in, they're going to come. I talked with the economic developer this morning for Logan City, and he confirms that we're on a growth rate to double our population just about every 30 years. And uh, they've got to go somewhere. And it's, uh, it, it is a question of who we want to be. Um, you know, if you live in Box Elder County and want to live out in Skull Valley, these neighbor conflicts are not particularly troublesome. But if you live uh, uh, in various parts of the county and, uh, and there's another development being proposed, uh, that's the very issue. Uh, more development, more roads, more infrastructure, uh, uh, electric lines, sewer lines. Wow. Uh, this, is a, this is a real planning challenge. And uh, if we don't make a concerted effort to define who we want to be, uh, then uh, then it's just going to be uh, chaos. And 30 years from now, our, our children and our grandchildren are going to say, what were you thinking to let this happen? Or not thinking. Yeah. yeah. And so we've got to be proactive, too. We'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. Uh, much more could be said. Uh, and uh, you can continue the discussion uh, at... Uh, Utah Public Radio on, on Twitter, uh, upraxis at gmail.com, and on our website. Uh, we uh, have had with us in studio Logan City Councilman Herm Olson. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Clark Israelson, uh, USU Cache County Extension Agent. Thank you. And uh, Reed Zog, who is a dairyman in the Lewis area. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our thanks to Don Baldwin as well, who uh, recorded a conversation with us uh, earlier. Uh, coming up tomorrow on the program, on Veterans Day, we're going to be talking with uh, an Iraq War veteran. He has written a new novel based on his experiences called Fives and Twenty-Fives. That's tomorrow on the program. Thanks for listening today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Humanities Council, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement in the humanities, online at utahhumanities.org, and the College of Science at Utah State University, where graduates' acceptance rates medical, dental, and graduate schools exceed national averages. When students and faculty learn together, discovery follows. Information at usu.edu science. Welcome to Wild About Utah, a Utah Public Radio production featuring contributors who share a love of nature, preservation, and education. Hi, I'm Rue Mahoney with Stokes Nature Center in Logan, Utah. As winter approaches, I find myself anticipating the first really good snow, when our valley floors and mountain passes will be transformed overnight, relinquishing autumn's riot of color for glacial monochrome. As little as 12,000 years ago, winter white was Utah's perennial favorite, dawned at the launch of the Pleistocene Epoch, a roughly 2 million year long period, give or take 10,000 years, marked by widely recurring glaciations. The West has a reputation for being vast, but Ice Age Utah was even bigger. The mountains were higher and sharper, and the Great Salt Lake was submerged beneath the glacial waters of Lake Bonneville. At its largest, this massive body of water covered 20,000 square miles and was more than 980 feet deep. 
To put that into perspective, that measures about nine and a half million football fields wide by four and a half Salt Lake temples deep. And the Ice Age wildlife? Well, it was much more akin to an African safari than anything you're likely to find on your favorite shoreline trail these days. The megafauna of Pleistocene Utah included a menagerie of beasts that are the stuff of legend. Familiar species like bison and bighorn sheep grazed among herds of mammoths and mastodons. Camels and horses, destined for extinction in North America, were the prehistoric prey of dire wolves and saber-toothed cats. Giant ground sloths the size of modern-day elephants stood on two powerful hind legs to browse on shoreline foliage. And herds of muskoxen kept a wary eye on Arctidus, the short-faced bear, a formidable predator more than 50% larger than any bear species living today. The last 30,000 years of Utah's Ice Age were characterized by increasingly volatile shifts in climate. The changing norms in temperature and abundance of liquid water created cyclical periods of transitioning habitat. Forests and forest dwellers gave way to deserts and their specialist species before shifting back to forests again, all in mere millennia. While nomadic and highly adaptable species like muskoxen eventually moved north to more stable climates, the less adaptable fauna of the Ice Age were increasingly relegated to sharing shoreline habitat, diminished by the swollen banks of Lake Bonneville. As fluctuating glaciers pushed southward and then retreated, canyons like Big and Little Cottonwood were gouged into existence. Spring and summer glacier melt carried an abundance of fresh water into the lake, sometimes sweeping along with it the remains of prehistoric animals that had not lasted through the winter, laying them to rest in shoreline deltas, where their fossilized remains are now uncovered from alluvial sediment. For many of Utah's most impressive Ice Age animals, the end of the Pleistocene brought extinction. Today, the ancient shoreline of Lake Bonneville is one of the most distinguishable geological features along the Wasatch Front. This bench, as it's now commonly known, is easily identifiable in cities all along the Wasatch and frequently boasts fine homes and even finer views, which might go to show you that lakeside property retains its value whether the lake is still there or not. So as you enjoy a winter hike or cross-country ski along a shoreline trail this season, think about Utah's last ice age and how our rich fossil record with some of Earth's largest land mammals paints a picture of an even wilder west. For Wild About Utah and Stokes Nature Center, I'm Rue Mahoney. Wild About Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on UPR is made possible in part by our listeners and the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. For more than 30 years, working to preserve the wilderness at the heart of the Colorado Plateau, more about protecting Utah's wilderness heritage at suwa.org. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto-Casper. This week we talked to writer and chef David Tannis about something he's quite passionate about, home cooking. Things begin to unravel when people don't cook at home. We talk about preservation of vineyards and learn how to quiet down and cook slowly. Join us. That's a splendid table from 8 p.m. Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. Thank you for listening to Access Utah on Utah Public Radio, a service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. The temperature is 38 degrees here on Utah State University campus. And up next we have the TED Radio Hour. <laughs>